Sam is trolling. It is your area of expertise, I believe. <laughs> it just comes natural. <laughs> Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 22. How are you doing, guys? Doing good. Doing well. So, looks like the summer months are continuing to be a little bit slow, but uh, we do have some things trickling out of Cupertino. We got our new 10.10.5 beta and an iOS 8.4.1 beta, which is kind of interesting, I think. Maybe it was just to support the new iPod touches we got this week. Could be. Those, uh, I like those. They're actually kind of nice looking. I was hoping for larger screen sizes, like a... Something equivalent to a six plus. I, I'd be tempted to get an iPod Touch. That's that size, but they stuck with the standard four inch screen. Well, I think most people take their iPods running if you're an adult with an iPod, and they're yeah. probably not going to run with a phablet in their shorts. That's true, or strapped to their their arms, <laughs> their, their backs, <laughs> <laughs> carrying those things around <laughs> like Rocky. Yeah, but uh, I did like it, and I, I'm happy that it's a 64-bit chip that uses the A8, although slightly underclocked from the iPhone 6. So, I th- is is this the kind of precursor to uh, an iPhone 6C maybe that we'll get this year? That's that keeps the the four-inch form factor maybe. I yeah, I think we could see one like that running an a8 chip and touch id that was the only thing i thought was missing from the the ipod the touch id yeah and it still has one gigabyte of ram but so does the phone so it's really comparable to the phone these days yeah we had some grumblings of why they bothered doing a 16 gigabyte size versus just starting with 32. Yeah, it was interesting because it's only a $50 jump between 16 gig and 32 gig and then another $50 to get to the 64. So it's almost like, oh, we should probably put this 32 in the middle, but we still want to make people at least pay a little more if they if they want to get more than 16 gig. Well, when you have the 16 gig one, you can say starting at was it 199 or something? Yeah, it's, it's all about getting that price point. Yeah, they could have easily done that easily done that with a 32 gig though. True. Yeah. But if they were going to keep the the regular 32 gig price, then yeah, that that 250 starting at 250 is less attractive than 199. Yeah. I really hope the new phones the the base model is 32 gig. I think I was looking actually I had some interns looking for me. And uh, the 32 gig of uh, of storage is the base for pretty much all of the Android flagship phones at this point. So Apple, I think, would look even worse than they do now if they 
started with 16 gigs on their success line. Well, it's interesting because I think also Android apps in general seem to run smaller than iOS apps, even for the same equivalent code. So they can get away with a 16 gig phone easier than we can. But that's going to change once we get our iOS 9 out the door. It'll give it give it a year or two before it really changes that much. Before all the app thinning stuff can be kind of used by all the apps. Yeah. I know I know it's probably backwards compatible, but it's gonna take a while before lots of apps support it. And unless the the iPad Air two and above multitasking is enough to make developers update their apps. We'll see. But don't you almost get it for free, the the app thinning, especially for uh, image resources? You just check a box. Is that how that works? Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of effort involved. I think it's more a matter of people updating their apps. And I haven't seen recent numbers, but I think there's a decent percentage of apps out there that have not been updated in a very long time. Even for the iPhone 6. Yep. 6 Plus. Those should all just be kicked out of the store. Yeah, definitely I think the search algorithm should be weighted for apps for that are newer. And maybe it is. Yeah, I'd be all for those apps getting kicked out of the store too. But... <laughs> <laughs> Makes it easier to find your app, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I think as a consumer too, you don't necessarily want to invest in an app, paid or free, that isn't going to be maintained. It gets tricky, though, because there's a lot of people who still haven't even updated to support, like, the iPhone 6 and 6S screen sizes. And I go to download an app, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of blown up. Okay, well, I guess I'll just keep using it. And... <laughs> How does it make you feel when you see a resume come across your desk where a developer has put out an app and it doesn't even support iOS 7? It's still stuck on the old six look i think it depends on whether it's their app or an app they built for somebody else their app in this case i don't know i think i actually i think there's apps that i guess yeah there's apps i've built for a charity that are published on my account that are that do not support later versions but that's true but if it's going to be, you wouldn't put that on your resume necessarily. It depends. I I wouldn't now, but if if I was if I was had a lack of mobile apps, then I wouldn't have a choice probably. I, I think that what it tells you is that that app doesn't make enough money to justify spending more time on it, or it makes plenty of money and <laughs> and nobody seems to care. Well, with the number of apps in the store, it's probably the former. Probably. And what else is going on? Well, I noticed that all of the, or not all of them, but most of the Alt-WWDC 2015 videos were posted. Yeah, for people that don't know, in the last several years, there's been an alternative conference in San Francisco during the time of WWDC. Uh, where a lot of speakers come in, non-Apple employees, 
show up and and give a talk. Uh, it's, it's fairly well attended conference, especially for those that don't manage to get a ticket to WWDC and but still want to be in the area for all the events that are going on. A lot of great content, a lot of great speakers, uh, a lot of variety of topics as well. Yeah, I had the luxury of taking that whole week off, so I streamed a lot of videos that week, and whenever there was something that wasn't interesting on the Apple streaming channel, I'd flip over to the the alt-dub-dub channels, and uh, they had two different streams going at the same time. And there was usually something good you could catch. So there are definitely a few talks out there that I'd recommend. Uh, Ash Furrow had a good one on reactive programming that I remember. Also, one of our regional cohorts and former guest on the podcast, Charles Perry, had a nice talk on building in success with market-first development. And he basically talked about his experiences a lot with... uh, his app called Benjamin. And uh, it was a very enjoyable talk as well as several other ones out there. It sounds pretty exciting. I've never, I've never actually seen any of the videos. It seems like it'd be a good conference to go to and just, just kind of talk to people. Yeah. Last year I wanted to go over, I planned to go, I was actually at dub dub last year and I, had thought, well, if I get some downtime, I'll go over. If some of the sessions are not that interesting, then I'll go over. But I never was able to line up interesting sessions that I wanted to see from them with boring ones at DubDub. So I didn't make it over, but it really does look like a good conference to go out for. And the topics aren't just engineering topics. Like at WWDC, there's a lot of topics around the community and and just general business practices uh, in app development. So even if you aren't someone who writes code, you might find a good session out there that's useful. Yeah, and I was I was surprised at the, the content because I thought, oh, Alt-Dub-Dub Alt, is really just a conference for people that are in the area that didn't happen to get tickets. And I have to take that back because it's that's not it at all it's really a first-rate conference and there's actually a lot of other first-rate conferences going around and coming up pretty soon too uh, alex you're going to be at one right in august yeah uh, we're, we're heading over to a few folks on my team are heading over to 360 idev uh, which this will be my first time attending but uh, some of our friends have been attending just about every single year since it started. It's one of the largest iOS-centric conferences and uh, lots of great speakers attending. Traditionally, it had been focused on the indie developer, but it's got a bit of a broader scope now, I think, and lots of technical and and non-technical topics. Uh, Really looking forward to it. It's in Denver, Colorado. Right. Around the third week in August, uh, like August 20th or so, somewhere around there, uh, 16th through 19th. Yeah, and so I'll, actually I'll be out there as well. So two-thirds of the Shared Instance podcast will be out there. 
Yeah, I'm super jealous of you guys. I, I probably would have gone this year, but I have a two-month-old at home, so I'm going to help out and take care of her, uh, but maybe next year. Well, she'll be like three months by the time the conference comes well, out, right? <laughs> in that case. <laughs> she'll practically be changing her diaper. Yeah, no, they're, yeah. they're practically self-sufficient by then. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Just don't uh, leave them in the car or anything, then you're good. All right. I'm going to leave that in. That's not getting that in the <laughs> Hey, it is a PSA. <laughs> Don't leave your kid in the car in the All summer. Right. Podcast title, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, it sounds like a cool conference. Maybe you guys can find us uh, some, some people to interview or something when you're out there. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. I would pack my mic, but I don't know if I could get it through the TSA. This thing's big. Uh, maybe we'll find a mobile mobile rig that we can take. So in addition to 360 iDev, not long after that, we've got another conference coming up. Uh, Again, uh, Charles Perry, a former guest of the show, is one of the hosts of the Release Notes Conference being held in Indianapolis. And that is scheduled for October 21st through the 23rd. Yeah. So that's practically our backyard. And uh, Alex, are you going, right? I think all three of us. Yeah, I think I, we're all going. I am not. Oh, can, bummer. I think there's a rule that we can't have all three of us at the same conference. Okay. Well, it's not too late. There's still tickets available, I believe, So for both conferences. So if you haven't bought your tickets yet and want to attend a, a first-rate conference, uh, 360 iDevs, got a great track record. Release notes, this is the first year and hopefully the first of many. Right. And if you want to hear more about release notes, we had Charles on episode 11 back in April to talk about the conference. And it was a really good, good talk, good talk or good time talking with him. And they, and they've slowly been trickling out more information about what they're doing. So check out their uh, website too. One of the things they recently announced was they're basically going to have a kind of like a, a dining event where they pair a bunch of people up and send them out to a, a local restaurant. Uh, and so like speed dating or something. <laughs> yeah. Speed dating or speed mingling with, with developers, a networking type event. So hmm. sounds like it could be interesting. We'll see. Definitely one of those ones that makes the introvert in me cringe. Yeah. <laughs> but Charles and Joe have been attending a ton of conferences lately and, and looking to see what other places, what other groups are doing, what works, what doesn't work. Um, this conference is a little bit different than some of the others in that it's focused more on the business of app development as opposed to uh, coding skills. And one of the key things they want to stress is building the community and networking. So they made some intentional decisions of how the conference would be organized to facilitate those those interactions yeah i might reconsider my stance on going i'll have to take a look at the funds and see how they look and that's in october right yes yes okay so uh recently i've also noticed in the news there's been a lot of articles about the apple watch demand kind of uh slowing down a bit you know, there's the, oh my gosh, Apple Watch people are doomed. And there's the kind of the, oh, well, 
it's supposed to slow down. Just had a launch, and it's it was a bigger launch than all, any other Apple product in recent memory. So, where are you guys with your Apple watches? Are you still using them? What are you guys thinking? Yeah, I'm still wearing mine. I think everybody I know that has an Apple Watch is wearing it fairly consistently. Now, I will say that I'm fairly underwhelmed with most of the watch apps, third-party watch apps. I don't think the killer app has been made yet, or at least I haven't found it. But, you know, for me, the killer app has been the, the activity tracker. I think that's one of the main reasons I put my watch on every day is I want to get credit for my activity for that day. Well, and yeah, I was going to say like the killer app is more built in. It's not a third party app yet. Not yet. Yeah, we'll see what happens when watchOS 2 is kind of out and useful right now. I think it gave me kind of a slow period of about two or three weeks where I wore my watch most of the time, but I it wasn't very reliable and battery was dying all the time. It's gotten better uh, in recent betas. Um, and I actually invested in another watch band, so it's it seems like I'm going to keep it around a little bit if I spend another 50 bucks on another colored watch band. So, uh, What color did you go for? <laughs> I went with the uh, the black so I can wear the watch in all occasions without kind of cringing <laughs> or drawing attention to yourself yes <laughs> yeah i i think yeah related to that is the second reason i put my watch on every day is the the expense of it after spending <laughs> that much money i want to get my money's worth it, generally though I, i've been pretty happy with the watch it it's comfortable it's functional um you know i, I don't know i would say i couldn't live without it but it I've been happier with it than I expected I would be having gone several years without wearing a watch at all. Yeah. I I actually stopped looking in my pocket to f- pull out my phone for the time and have started looking at my wrist first. And then occasionally when I'm not wearing my watch, I, it, it catches me that I'm, that I have an empty wrist down there. I will say I find my watch to be more distracting while I'm driving. You know, there's one thing to have, like your phone and your center console pop up with a message that grabs your attention, which you really shouldn't. <laughs> but it's another thing to have your watch buzz and a message come up and you have this instinctive reaction to look at it while you're trying to steer. <laughs> so, and it's kind of hard to read that small screen yeah, and still keep your eyes on the road. Uh, I have to remind myself I don't need to look at it right now. Just because it buzzed doesn't mean it needs really needs attention right now. So I, I I don't know if that part of it is great. It'd be nice if it knew that I was driving and I don't want to be interrupted. But you can say that about the phone as well. I think other than that, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. I will say that the Android Wear watches have been out for a little bit longer. And there's definitely some folks I know that that bought one or two of the Android Wear watches that don't wear them anymore. And that may just be personal preference, but 
most of the folks that I know that have either an Android Wear or an Apple Watch are developers. Uh, so I don't know how much the watches have penetrated the, the mainstream. Are most of are most of the Apple Watch people that you know developers as well, or? Well, to be fair, it's I'm not necessarily the best person to sample. <laughs> the most of our crowd that we yeah. hang out with. Yeah, most, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I I think if you're in another city and, and talking to folks in San Francisco, you know, they see Apple Watches everywhere. Uh, here in in Cincinnati, it's perhaps less common. I've I've seen more and more of them, but it's definitely early adopters that I've seen. So I will say having gone to the local Android meetup and also the local iOS meetups at the iOS one, you see Apple watches on people's wrists on the Android one, not nearly as much, if at all. They're the Android wear, not Apple watches, of course. Although, Argo, you and I were there with our Apple Watches last time. That's right. I mean, to be fair, it's like, like I think Alex said, it's they've been out for a little bit longer. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to compare in another six to ten months, I guess, and see what we're all doing with our watches. Uh, but, I, yeah, so but if, they just got a, a recent update to their watches, to the OS on their watches. That was supposed to fix a lot of annoyances. And there's some really nice looking watches in for the Google Wear uh, from some of the manufacturers. Uh, some newer ones that have come out recently that look very much like classic watches. And there are some that are very bulky. I think as they get thinner, lighter, longer battery, uh, we might see them being becoming more common. Yeah, I don't know. I I have an Android Wear as well, and I tried it out for a while. I don't think I ever actually wore it dedicated for any amount of time, just because it was so frustrating for me to use. Yeah, I kind of thought that the Apple Watch, the Watch OS, was a little rough to use. But Android Wear, to me, I don't know if it was just because I was having this kind of uncanny valley effect, switching between platforms but it was just frustrating. I didn't think it was easy to use at all. And definitely some of it would be attributed to being used to the Apple Watch first, but still, I I don't know. I just didn't like it. I didn't like the experience. Well, time will tell, I suppose. Uh... <laughs> I didn't even make that pun on purpose. <laughs> Haters gonna hate. Uh, anyways... Uh, so I think I forget which one of you it was, but you guys sent out this article about a uh, new feature in iOS 9 that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, UI collection viewer ordering. Uh, does, does one of you guys want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah, I, I uh, shared that link. Uh, it's an article that was posted recently and a feature that I didn't catch during the WWDC sessions that iOS 9 now has support for drag-and-drop reordering in a UI collection view, uh, which is kind of cool. We had that with UI table views, and uh, if you wanted to do that in a collection view, you had to do a decent amount of coding and, and a lot of work to get uh, that to go smoothly, and now it's 
to some degree built in. There's still some work there, but but you can accomplish it fairly easily. Yeah, I wonder if the reason that we didn't kind of catch on to it was that they just call it UI collection view reordering, and you you just said uh, drag and drop reordering, which after looking at the article and hearing you say it, now it makes complete sense what it is. And I, yeah, it, maybe they just should have named that better. I can I can see Apple wanting to shy away from that drag and drop terminology because uh, that's kind of more associated with the trucks. Uh, the the laptops and the main computers rather than our mobile devices, but yeah, and and I think this is kind of an important feature in the sense that, in a way, UI collection of views is UI table view two point and as you start moving towards adaptive UI, uh, UI table views are fairly limited. They don't they don't do a great job of taking advantage of the real estate where you can. You can create a UI collection of view to look an awful lot like a UI table view, but on an iPhone, but on an iPad, it can use a different layout and really take advantage of the space. And I think this might be a key feature in future updates of the OS as we build more and more adaptive UI. But if it's a flow layout, you know, it might intelligently, you know, be one column on a on a compact versus a regular width, it might be two or three columns. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, you know, if you haven't mastered UI collection views yet, probably a good idea to start looking at that as a first choice over UI table view if you're building universal apps. And things like forms, you know, traditionally we use UI table view to lay out our forms. Maybe UI collection view is a better choice where we can have multiple form fields in a single row so it'll the form will flow more natural on an ipad i would think stack views would be a good thing to look into if you're Very if true. you have the luxury of supporting nine yeah up. yeah i would definitely say that ui stack view you're right absolutely that that's probably a pretty good choice for a form especially if you want to Fairly complex layout. Yeah, it's definitely a lot simpler than a than a UI collection view or UI table view in terms of implementation. And with the form, you don't really need to worry about view recycling because you have fairly unique input fields. So, yeah, and hopefully your form is not too long either. Hopefully not. Yeah. So it looks like this thing is relatively easy to implement. If you're inheriting from the UI collection view controller, two different methods and you're done. Uh, and then if you don't, if you just subclass a straight up UI view controller, it can be done pretty easily with a pan gesture 
recognizer, uh, long ge- long press gesture recognizer. So, well, couldn't you just uh, use a child view controller and embed the UI collection view controller as well? You could, and a lot of people take that approach with table views as well to get a lot of that built-in behavior. I had to do that the other day to get around a bug, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of nice features in UI table view controller that take a little extra code to reimplement. And so that embedded approach is a very valid thing to do. It's probably not something I always think about first off, but yeah. So also we got a new uh, Swift book coming out, right, from the Objective CIO guys. Yeah, Chris Eidhoff and uh, Airspeed Velocity have opened up their early access to their advanced Swift programming book. Uh, previous to that, they had the functional programming in Swift book. Uh, so this book promises to go even deeper into Swift and and touch on a a number of advanced topics. So this looks like a, a really good book and you can buy it now and get access to the beta and the GitHub repository and get the final version when it's complete. Their first book, Functional Programming in Swift, was a pretty good book. Yeah. And especially if, you know for folks who hadn't been exposed to functional programming before in other languages, you know, for, for many of us, Swift is our first functional language. So the book did a great job of introducing many of those topics and in helping us think about pro- programming in Swift in a way other than just translating our Objective-C code verbatim. Technically, JavaScript is probably most people's first functional programming language. They just don't know it. Uh, <laughs> and nobody uses it that way anyway. Right. right. Maybe more today than than 10 years ago but yeah it's javascript has evolved quite a bit in, in the way people use it yeah let's let's stay off that rant yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> sounds like a good idea uh, i was just gonna jump on the bandwagon but <laughs> uh, okay one last one no no, no i'm out. good i'm All good right. yeah so uh it's a lot of a lot of little tidbits going on here uh, we do have a app of the week submission. Yeah, we've got quick schedule by Daryl Nicholas. It's a employee scheduling app, uh, complete with Apple Watch support, so you can quickly manage employee schedules uh, from the phone or the watch. Yeah, so Daryl is a bit of a friend of the podcast. So uh, there's our little um what do you call it disclaimer so he has uh promoted our podcast on his ios learning is it now called ios learning weekly ios learning weekly yes ios learning weekly and he he has promoted our podcast for that we are very grateful and uh so he submitted his app to our our little program here and it's 99 cents and it's pretty cool. It's uh you can uh, change the day order around. You can set up different shifts and then 
also add employees to it. I think uh, he works with Tim Cook, apparently. And... Yeah, I, I saw that screenshots, and I was really <laughs> pumped about that. But then I saw the phone screenshots and saw that he also worked with Johnny Appleseed. Oh. So it looks like it might just be sample data. Oh. That's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Daryl's a pretty cool guy. He is somebody who's looking to bust into full-time iOS development. He does it mostly on the side and he's very passionate about it. And this app has been in the store for a little while and he is committed to supporting it. And he's also been working on another app and hopefully that'll come out soon. You just, as it, as it is with all, all the indie guys that are trying to get it start, it's nights and weekends and it takes a while. It goes in fits and spurts, but yeah, so it's a, it's a nice little app. Definitely something if you got a small business and you can email the schedule out to the employees either in PDF or I think text form. Yeah. And I didn't get a chance to try it out, but it does have a Apple Watch extension. I'm I'm kind of curious what it does in the Apple Watch. And I think the the tagline he has is it's the the first scheduling app with Apple Watch support. So, and I think he's done a pretty good job of making the data fairly usable on the watch, which is can be kind of difficult, you know, with that small screen. And scheduling scheduling systems often are more complicated than they they seem. So, he's done a great job. You know, this is his first app that we know of Um, pretty impressive. Yeah, it's definitely good. Um, And so as always, we do welcome more submissions. We will be featuring them as they come in. I think, you know, we've been talking a lot with some indie developer friends and a lot of them have apps that are almost done. You know, they're like in the 80 or 90% done and, you know, it's always a difficult thing to get past that final hurdle and, and feel confident in shipping. So it's a pretty big step. You know, you're putting yourself out there, your work out there that you are fairly passionate about and you don't know what the reaction is going to be and, and, and you never feel like it's quite ready enough. So I think it's all always great uh, when fellow developers finally ship the app and, and definitely encourage each other to to get the app out there, get feedback, make it better. Well, and you know what they say about, about your 1.0 is if, if you're not embarrassed about it, then you probably should have shipped it sooner <laughs> just, just to get it out there. And, and this app, this quick schedule app is currently 2.1. So he's been making updates and, and keeping it going and improving it along the way. Yeah, it's definitely not abandonware like so many other apps in the App Store. And we definitely wouldn't feature it if it was. So, so uh, yeah, uh, we have a couple other submissions that we'll get to in the next couple weeks. and uh, But we are definitely open for more. So if you know somebody who 
has an app that's in the app store or they're they're getting ready to push it out to the app store those are great too because we will if you are about to launch your app we will try to fit it into our podcast to help promote you during your launch week uh, so yeah if you know somebody or if you are about to submit it or to release an app let us know well, I think that's about all the time we have uh, this week. Why don't you uh, guys let us know where we can find you on Twitter? I'm at AJ Robinson. And I'm at Sam Corder. You can find me at Alex Argo. Okay. And as always, the podcast is at Shared Inst on Twitter. And we welcome any ratings and reviews that you leave behind. Uh, they help us get discovered by other people. And we can always have a bigger audience definitely would like that